Podcastle episode number 461 for March 24, 2017. Faded Ink by Siobhan Gallagher. Rated PG. Hello and welcome to Podcastle. I'm Isabel Yap, this week's guest host. I'm a Filipina writer of short fiction and poetry and the secretary of the Clarion Science Fiction and Fantasy Writers Workshop. I'm very pleased to be guest hosting today's episode, which is part of Artemis Rising 3, a month-long series in which the Escape Artist podcasts celebrate the writing of anyone who identifies as a woman, as well as our non-binary authors. Podcastle is very proud to present Faded Ink by Siobhan Gallagher, a Podcastle original. To what lengths would you go to preserve the stories held inside you? How obsessive can a person become about finding the right medium to tell a tale? Among the different paths a life can take, which thread is the one bound to your fate? And are there lizard people in space? These are some of the themes being explored in today's tale. Today's story was written by Siobhan Gallagher. Siobhan is a wannabe zombie slayer currently residing in the Forever City. Her fiction has appeared in over 30 publications, including AE, the Canadian Science Fiction Review, On Spec, Abyss and Apex, the anthology Unidentified Funny Objects, and Grimdark Magazine. Your reader today is Setsu Uzume. Setsu spent her formative years in and out of dojos. She also trained in a monastery in rural China, studying Taoism and swordplay. She is a member of Codex and Sifwa. While she has dabbled in many arts, only writing and martial arts seem to have stuck. Find her on Twitter at KatanaPen and online at katanapen.wordpress.com. Now hold on to those threads of fate and enjoy the story. Fated Ink by Siobhan Gallagher The front door goes ding-a-ling and in walks a young woman with bouncing blonde curls, bright blue eyes, blemish-free skin. The picture of perfection, some would say. But I know better. I've seen girls like her, and I'll see a million more, all optimistic, hope-filled bags of flesh. Then they come to me, and that changes everything. The young woman points to a sign in the window, says something about wanting a tattoo above the crack of her little ass. Charming. I want to say, honey, you don't want one of my tattoos. But the rash under my right arm erupts, black blood carving lines into my flesh, and I bite down on a scream. When done, the image is a raw picture of the young woman. I look up and the woman isn't even here. Not yet. She's on her way, just past the old ice cream burger joint on 5th Street. I could close up shop, delay her ever getting a tattoo, but what could you do that fate hasn't already put in place? So I sit back, fan my rash-turned tattoo. The front door goes ding-a-ling. The minute that woman steps into my shop, I see all the different threads connecting her to different fates. Another one of those anomalies that I have to take care of. Are you a gypsy? The woman asks, laying stomach down on the wooden table. You could say that. I plug in the iron, snap on the gloves. 
Her faint lines swarm me, some bright and iridescent, others are gloomy shades of purple and blue. The strongest and thickest thread will survive and go on to tell this woman's story, but I remember all the threads, all the stories. As I press the iron to her skin, the stories flow into me, flashing scenes of her and her boyfriend going to the movies, then him proposing during the credits. There's a wedding day, and it rains, but everyone is laughing. The bride and groom splash around in puddles like their children. Months later comes the call, and with it, all the stomach-twisting jitters as the doc tells her she's pregnant. The iron works its ink into her skin, and soon after, that thread line disappears. Only a memory now. The woman, Cindy Amston, drones on and I give the necessary answers to state conversation, but one question flies in my face. So what's your name? My name's been lost to time, and quite frankly, I don't miss it. Names are lead weights, just get you confused. Is this Cindy from last year, or year 3021? She's blonde now, but wasn't she bald with scales? I can't bother with that, so I spit out, Cassie. Tomorrow it'll be Lady Gracie. Yesteryear it was Madame Parse. In 3021, it's Pin. Cindy asks, can I see it? I place a padded patch over the design before she can turn her head. Sorry, this has to stay covered for at least a week. Ink is sensitive to light. Three thread lines remain. Two are wobbly, fading in and out. The other is solid, although a bit transparent. When it comes time to unveil the tattoo, there will only be the one. Cindy will be more than a little shocked, to say the least. She'll rush home to catch her cheating boyfriend in the act and kick him out. She'll come looking for me, but I'll be long gone. I cradle this Cindy person's untold stories within my mind. You could say I'm a collector. I have stories of a dusty red planet colonized by an oppressed people, a junkyard rocket and a father's imagination, a child in Illinois' first gasp as he sees a star shoot across the sky. It seems a shame to let them all go to waste, all these beautiful moments, terrible events, lessons never learned. Why can't they live once more? The obvious answer is to write them down, but I know books. They get lost, pages torn and yellowed, people forget the words or they don't bother to remember. And considering how books will become nothing more than kindling, it'd be better if the stories were put down in the permanence of flesh. Not my flesh, it's cluttered enough as is. But I dream of someone who'll be the perfect canvas, for the stories won't adhere to just anyone. All I need to do is find this person. I wake up to the 60s. Men with hair longer than mine, funk jams playing all through the night and ankle-breaking platforms. Fun times, but there's darkness too. No one yet realizes that shoving white powder up your nose or popping those pills like candy was more than a bad idea. They're having a good time, getting high and loving life. Then comes the crash and burn and fall. Battered soldiers come home, batter their wives and kids. One brown boy comes into my shop with a black eye, says it's from baseball practice. He asks about sweeping off the front steps for a quarter. Makes me chuckle. In 30 years' time, kids will demand 20 bucks for the same chore.
He gives me a questioning look, shaggy hair covering the bad side of his face. Then, right there, I see Tranto, and Hub, and Zugukum, and every other adolescent child who has ever or will ever come into my shop asking for work. Amazing how things never change. I couldn't turn those kids down either. Nathan comes every other day to sweep, water the potted plants, pick weeds growing in the sidewalk cracks. Anything to stay away from home. I up his pay a dollar, which is a gold mine to him. First time his amber eyes saw Washington, he gaped at the bill for a good five minutes. Now he thinks I'm selling crack under the counter. There's a few threads wiggling around him, none of them looking pretty. It takes all my willpower not to go walking down his timeline. I know I'll cut my feet on the broken path, sidestepping puddles of sorrow, breathing in an atmosphere of rotten, burning eggs. But maybe if I keep giving him the money, he'll save up and move on. Leave the garbage behind. It's a wishful thought. Another rash. This one explodes across my thigh, leaves me doubled over. Blindness. Rocking back and forth. Footsteps. Nathan's. I see him out of one watery eye. He comes running over. Where does it hurt? Just... The word squeezes itself between my teeth. He runs to the back, returns with an ice pack. All I can do is extend a hand, and he shoves the pack into my grip. I slap it down on my thigh, pushing hot burn out with cold burn. He sits on the floor, starts talking about his day at school, what his friends did and said. My mind goes tumbling through the details. I whisper, Tranto, Tranto. No, stupid, it's Hub. No, it's Jukum. But Jukum doesn't play baseball, does he? Does baseball even exist in 3021? What? What year is this? He tilts his head and frowns. It's 1969. Right, I nod, slow my breathing. And you're... Nathan. Do I need to call the hospital? No. I swallow. A hard, dry swallow. Find enough strength to sit up. The fact that he knows what to do in this situation is scary enough. I'd hate to think of all the times his mother has suffered a punch. A kick. A threat of worse to come. He still sits there with a worried expression. I put on a smile for him. Honest, I'm fine. It's just these, uh, flashbacks. Some hurt worse than others. Oh. Then his gaze follows the length of my arm, skin soaked in a thousand faces. My customers, I explain, to remember them by. That's a lot of them. Well, I've been around. I get to my feet, and he does too. Come on, I'll buy you an ice cream. It was bound to happen, what with living all these existences. Things would get jumbled. I feel the memories seeping out of my ears as I sleep, and they're in my tears as I cry in frustration, and in my breaths as I exhale. I've thought and rethought about sewing shut all my orifices, anything to stop from losing all these stories, and myself. Even now, the ice cream parlor shifts from a dinky little place with its cracked white tiles, shuddering ventilation and lumpy seats, 
to a high-rise apartment made entirely of crystal overlooking a yellow sea. And I'm sitting across from a lizard man and we're sharing a bottle of alcohol, which stabs my tongue each time I sip. But it's a delicacy here, this alcohol and this view. Then the stabbing turns into soft, strawberry coldness. The only view I have is the ice cream shop's parking lot and a run-down 7-Eleven across the street. You sure you're okay? He looks up at me, eyes wide and scared, ice cream half-melted. I have to bite the inside of my cheek to keep from wandering off. Keep focused. Keep focused. This is Nathan, 1969. Nathan, 1969. I'm fine. I was just remembering something. I remembered something, too, about a story my grandpa told me. He says, pushes a slice of banana around his bowl. Oh? Yeah, he says it's true, but no one believes him. He said he met a man completely covered in tattoos. The man had lost his job and needed a place to stay, so Grandpa let him stay there for the night. While the man slept, Grandpa saw the tattoos change. He swears it. Changing tattoos? What of, did he say? I find myself leaning close, rewinding his words over and over, covered in tattoos, changing. Um, Mars and space and people's lives. He says they were stories. Stories. I touch my temple and conjure up such images, and the more I focus on them, the clearer they become. Red dust in my mouth, an angry buzz in the air, spaceships taking off. Oh, how my hands ache to grab a hold of that man's flesh and work my magic over every single inch till there's not a blank space left, till every story has been spilt. Did your grandpa describe the man at all? He sits a little straighter, mouth working as though it's doing the thinking. Said he was a big man. Just big? I do a quick look over my tattoos. A couple of jowly guys, but I'm almost certain it's not any of them. Uh-huh. Why? Oh, I wave him off with a smile. Just wondering. He gives me an odd look, but shrugs. I laugh. You done? Should probably head back home. He stays put, looks down. He'll be there. And this is the hard part, because I know he wants to stay with me, but I can't take him from his mother. She needs him. So I say the best thing that I can. Hey, if he ever hurts you or your mom, you can come to me. I'll help you out. He finally meets my gaze. How? Good question. What can I do that his mother hasn't already tried? Run away and he'll just track them down. Call the police and he'll say they're both clumsy. And he's a decorated soldier. A hero. And who wants to accuse a hero of lying? This is fate at its worst. No choices. No compromise. Just consequences. With much reluctance, I drop him off at his house. His old man's car is gone. Of course he's down at the local bar, drowning himself. One has to wonder what consequences could happen while driving from the bar and back. Because I know of a few. I check myself in the shower, each and every face. Not a single one trips my memory of an illustrated man. Maybe he doesn't exist and the kid's grandpa made up the story to scare his grandchildren. 
He probably claims he was abducted by aliens, too. But it sounded so right. Even as I repeat the words inside my head, it sounds like my handiwork. A bang at the door. A customer already? Ink dribbles down my leg, the rash bleeding, and all cracks and lines fill in. A face emerges. I towel off, slip into a kimono, and head downstairs. A samurai sits cross-legged on the bamboo floor, his sword across his lap. I do well to bow in his presence. He announces that he wishes for a fierce design on both chest and back, for when he goes into battle, his armor will be the tattoo. His enemies will tremble at the sight. I pull up my sleeves and etch the history of his fate. There's no trembling, no fear, only a quick death, his head's in the hands of a shogun. Then I blink. The man isn't a samurai, though he might fancy himself as one. He's pro-wrestler Hal the Nord Kimson, brought his own anesthesia in the form of a 16-ounce can of beer. Idiot, you don't need anesthesia for a tattoo. He wants a mean design to make all his opponents wet their pants. In a booming voice, he talks about how big wrestling will be, and it will, for a time. But like everything, it'll be short-lived. I select a thread before it fades out and twist it into the stronger timeline. It's a loophole I've learned, though I have to be careful how I use it. Don't want to combine two opposing fates, after all. But this will work. I can already see its effects. Mr. Nord driving 60 miles an hour, can of beer in his hand, Led Zeppelin blasting from the speakers, then that blinding light and crash! Nathan's old man doesn't come home that night. In fact, he doesn't come home for a very long time. And this is all the opportunity Nathan and his mother need to get away. But before disappearing, Nathan pays one last visit. Or he will. I open the door before his mother's Chevy truck drives up, all their stuff packed up in the back. Nathan hops out of the passenger seat. His mother, a pretty woman of dark skin, wears sunglasses that cover half her face. She has her hands on the wheel, not about to let go or even put the vehicle in park. Nathan walks up, eyes tearing up. I wanted to make sure you're okay. I'm doing good. I pat him on the shoulder. You make sure you do good as well. It's not great advice, but it's the best I can do. Better advice would be, don't mess around with that girl in high school and don't assault that officer. Even if I told him that now, he'd think I was telling stories. And maybe I am. As he turns around, I ask, That story, the one about the tattooed man, did your grandpa ever mention when it happened? He works his mouth, says, The forties, I think. Gives me some hope, at least. All I need now is for my mind to stay intact. I wave him and his mother off, while mentally storing their tale. It'll be a rough one, that's for sure. Then head inside for some hydrocortisone. Got an itchy rash on my palm. And welcome back. Our author shares in her story notes the following. The narrator in today's story is the gypsy from Ray Bradbury's The Illustrated Man, the one who gave the protagonist his tattoos. 
She didn't have any screen time in the original, but I thought she was fascinating. What motivates her to inscribe these stories to skin? And deserving of her own tale. Personally, I was unfamiliar with the illustrated man, and so I did a little bit of research online. I really appreciated how the author created a whole character and mythos for this protagonist, even if she had barely been given any description in Bradbury's original work. This was a very physical, visceral story, and always surprising. I like how our time-traveling narrator is unreliable. She is portrayed as compassionate, but in some ways her obsession over finding the perfect canvas for her stories is also incredibly selfish. I greatly enjoyed that duality present in her character. Another thing I liked was how the story plays on our fears about our destinies. How it's pretty frightening to learn how we will live and die, and how knowing our fate may not mean that we can change it. Next, we'd like to share some episode feedback. Feedback this week is for episode 450, Bonsai, by Shannon Garrity. As much as this was a beautifully sad story, many readers found it meaningful and also fairly hopeful. A number of listeners noted that the story seemed to rise and rise and then suddenly stop. While on first listen this might be a little jarring, Veronicat observed that the storytelling style worked as a level of analogy for the life of the protagonist and the battle with cancer. I'd like to make a special shout out to Maxilu regarding your comment on the forum. When a story helps someone remember and process, to me, there's no higher compliment. Thank you for sharing your memories with us and making room for us during that difficult time. What were your thoughts on this week's story? Join us at forums.escapeartist.net, visit us on Facebook, or tweet us at podcastle underscore org. Thank you for those comments. We hope you visit us and let us know what you thought of today's story. That was our show for the week. On behalf of everyone at PodCastle, thank you for letting us share another story with you. We'll be back next week with a new one. Until then, this is Isabel Yap reminding you to stay open to all possibilities, inked or not. Our closing quote comes from Annie Dillard, who offers some excellent advice on storytelling. Aim for the chopping block. If you aim for the wood, you will have nothing. Aim past the wood, aim through the wood, aim for the chopping block.